Hey, everybody, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 13. We're finally finishing up our year-long study of the Gospel of Mark. Now, if you've been with us since the beginning of the year, we started in chapter 1. We're going to be ending, for this year, we're going to be ending in chapter 13. Now, there are a few more chapters in the Gospel of Mark, but those are more Easter chapters. Those are about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Mark's Gospel finishes this current section of scripture where Jesus is at the temple right before he goes to the cross. He's going to finish that in chapter 13. And so that's what we're going to do as well. So today we're going to cover verses 28 to 37. This is the end of what we call the Olivet Discourse and Jesus's discussion of the end times. Now notice he's never going to give an answer to the timing of the end. That's what the disciples had been asking him the last couple of weeks. When is the end going to come? Well, spoiler alert, he's not going to give us the answer to that, but he is going to give some insight into how we should live in light of the end times. And so for today, I want to ask this question before we even get into the text, and we've got a lot of ground to cover, but I want to ask this question that's kind of like a, I would say it's a challenging question. How would you live if you didn't believe that time would run out? You know, the last two weeks, we've been looking at kind of some scary stuff about the Antichrist and tribulation and the rapture and some of this stuff that if you're a newer believer, if you're newer to the Bible, it was probably really eye-opening. Maybe this was brand new for you. But some of you who have been around a long time, maybe you've studied this or you're certainly aware of these things. But I think this is a really interesting question for us to finish our study of the Gospel of Mark with. How would you live your life if you didn't believe that there was such a thing as the end of the world? Now, for Christians, that's not an, that's not an option to us biblically. It's not an option for us to say, well, yeah, I'm going to opt for that, that, you know, that there is no such thing as the end of the world and the rapture and the tribulation and the Antichrist. Like, we don't get to come to the Bible and tell God what we want to be true in our world or what we want to be true as it relates to the end of the world. We don't have that option. As students of the word, we have to come to the Bible and we have to say, well, what is going to happen? What does God's word say about the end of the world? So even if some of this is new for many of you listening, it's what the Bible says. It's what we have to wrestle with. Time will run out on all of us. Someday, the end of the world will come Jesus spends a lot of time talking about it, not just Jesus, but Daniel and Revelation and First and Second Thessalonians, as we've noted before. And yet there are so many people in, in our world today who live as if time will never run out. In other words, they live as if this life is all that there is, and there is no such thing as the end of the world. There is no such thing as heaven and hell. There's no such thing as, you know, what Jesus is talking about in these passages that we've been studying. In fact, Paul says this in Philippians 3, verses 18 to 20. He says, For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are real enemies of the cross of Christ. Now listen to the next part. They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. And they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven, Paul writes to the Christians in Philippi, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return 
as our Savior. So Paul is drawing a really interesting distinction in this passage between people who only think about living this life here on earth, in other words, people who don't think time's going to run out for them in the long run, versus followers of Jesus. And what he's saying, as followers of Jesus, we're citizens of heaven. We're already thinking about the end of the world. We're living in light of his return. We're eagerly awaiting that day. We're not afraid about it, even though there's tribulation and there's all kinds of scary stuff, as Jesus said in Mark 13, Paul is saying, doesn't matter. Like, we can't wait for that day because we're heavenly minded. But non-Christians, people who don't believe in the Bible or in the end of times, they're only, I want you to focus on this, they're only thinking about their appetite. They're only thinking about temporal things, earthly things. Their, Their conduct proves it out. And when I read this passage in Philippians 3, I can't help but think that there are a lot of Christians today, in our churches today, who live more like what Paul is describing is a secular lifestyle than a Christian lifestyle. I think in America today, it's so easy for us to be comfortable with heaven on earth that we don't even think about the end times. We don't even think about Jesus' second coming. We don't even think about eternal things. We're not fixing our mind on eternal things. We're not eagerly waiting for Jesus to return because we really like what we've got here on earth. So really, even before we get into the text for today, as we finish up Mark chapter 13, I want you to be honest about your answer to this question. How would you live if you didn't believe time would run out? What Paul says is, People who don't believe in the end times, they just totally focus on life here on earth. And so another way to ask this question for you as a Christian is, are you just focused on life here on earth or are you living in the light of eternity? Are you living with this in mind that Jesus is coming back and everything that you're working so hard to attain, your home, your car, whatever else, like it's all going to burn up. Like really let that sink in. Because that's the truth of the Bible. And we don't get to decide what's true and what's not true. This is what Jesus has testified to, that everything's going to be burned up someday. And so that's why, that's why Paul says in Philippians 3, earlier in this chapter 3, he says, forgetting the past and looking forward to, lies at, to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Paul sets such a good example for us that we should be focused, we should be focused on eternal things, not just on temporal things. And that's why even though when I read verses like what we're going to read today, when I read this, I part of me is anxious about it, but part of me is like, wait a second, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I should be, I should be pressing on to reach the end of the race. That's, what, that's how I should be thinking. I shouldn't just be working hard for things here on earth, you know, the physical things that I have. I should be focused on the more important things, the things of eternity. And that's what we're going to be looking at today as we finish up Mark chapter 13. All right, with that in mind, let's get to the text. Let's start with Mark 13, verses 28 to 31. Here's what Jesus says here as he's finishing up the Olivet Discourse. He says, now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, 
you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that his return is very near right at the door. Now, let me pause there for a second and just make a comment about the fig tree in Palestine 2,000 years ago. This tree was different than most trees in Palestine because most, most trees would remain green throughout the whole year. But the fig tree, according to the Expositor's Bible Commentary, the fig tree is different. It's the exception. In the fall, it loses its leaves. And when in the spring, the sap rises in its branches and the tree begins to leaf out, summer must be getting close. And so this parable here, when Jesus is talking about the fig tree, it's helpful for us to understand is he's, he's saying, look, there's hope. There's hope in the air. That, that's what Jesus is saying. After spending the whole chapter in Mark 13, the last couple of weeks we've been studying this, kind of sharing about the tribulation and persecution and all the bad stuff that's going to happen. When Jesus is talking about the fig tree, he's saying, look, some good stuff is going to happen. Like this is, this is a this is a sign of spring and new life. And, and really, that's what we ended with last week when we saw that the heavens are going are gonna to part, that Jesus is going to come back on the clouds, and, and all of the destruction and negativity of the tribulation is going to give way to the second coming of Jesus. And that's why Jesus is using a fig tree in this sort of, sort of this like parable almost, that he's saying, there's going to there's gonna be hope once again. And the fig tree, just like the fig tree reminds us of springtime coming and actually springtime finishing and the summer being here in the same way, Jesus is coming and it's going to be a good thing. Now notice he's not telling them exactly when all of this is going to happen, but he is telling them that the end of the story is going to be, is going to be good. And then he says this, he says, I tell you the truth this generation will not pass away from the scene before all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Now, critics of the Bible sometimes will point to Jesus's words here to try to prove that his words aren't reliable and that he's not really a prophet and we can't trust the Bible. And here's why, because and, and maybe you've read this passage before and you're not really sure how to answer this when Jesus says this generation will not pass from the scene before all these things take place. At first glance, it might sound like Jesus is saying that the end of time is going to come within the generation of the people who are listening to him. In other words, that the end times would come in the, in the generation of those first apostles. But when you take this in context, that's not what it's saying at all. Now, here's, here's how I read this. I read this that he's talking about, when he says these things will take place in, during the time of this generation, he's talking about, if you look at all of Mark chapter 13, he's talking about the immediate stuff that is going to happen with the destruction of the temple. Remember we said a couple of weeks ago that when we're reading this eschatological content, that means the end times content, we always have to keep in mind that some of the stuff that Jesus is talking about is going to happen for the generation at hand. And some of the stuff that he's talking about is really going to be the stuff that happens in the end times. And that's the trick is we're trying to understand, okay, which part of this 
is going to happen in the time of the disciples in which part of this is yet to come at the end of the world. And so earlier in chapter 13, Jesus is talking about that, you know, remember that no stone will be standing on another in the temple. In other words, that the temple will be destroyed. And so that's what Jesus is talking about here when he says, this generation will not pass from the scene before all these things take place. He's referring back to the destruction of the temple. And remember, the temple would be destroyed about 35 years after Jesus is saying these words. In AD 70, the temple would be destroyed. We talked about all of that in the previous lesson, if you want to get into the details of of how exactly that happened. We talked about the abomination that causes desolation and Titus and the temple and all that stuff. So when Jesus said this generation will pass away until these things take place, he's talking about the destruction of the temple. He's not talking about the end of the world. Now, by the way, some, some commentators, some biblical commentators, some defenders of the Bible have another option as well, which is I would say is also valid is when when they say this generation won't pass away some people say he's talking about the generation in the at the end times that's the generation he's talking about so there's two ways that you can look at this there's two ways you can try to interpret this to be faithful to scripture and reason and logic but what you can't do is take this scripture and say see look Jesus can't be trusted God's word can't be trusted So for Bible critics that look at this verse and try to disprove the Bible because of this verse, I think that they're not understanding this passage accurately. In fact, I love that the very next thing Jesus says after he says that this generation won't pass away before these things take place, the very next thing he says is a great thing to say to the Bible critic. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. And that really sums up the way I approach the Bible. And I hope for you, if you're a follower of Jesus, I hope you approach the Bible the same way, that you recognize that God's word is trustworthy and true and his words won't disappear. And we can take him at his word. When we read his Bible, we can trust that what his Bible says is true. And it is, it really is. Jesus's words outlast all of the critics, even the critics today. The prophet Isaiah said it like this in chapter 40, verse 8, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. And I hope if you've studied the gospel of Mark with us in this last year, I hope that's kind of the conclusion that you've come to as well, is that God's word is beautiful and powerful and trustworthy and true. It shouldn't surprise us as we're reading God's word that the prophecies have been fulfilled, that we've read Daniel and we're reading Mark 13 and the the temple is going to be destroyed just as Jesus predicts. That shouldn't surprise us because Jesus stands outside of time. He understands the beginning from the end. And so it was his plan all along, God's saving plan, the, the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, all of this, the second coming of Christ, this was all part of God's plan all along. But what might surprise you is what happens next in verse 32, because Jesus says something that might be confusing for some of you, especially at first glance. He says, however, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the son himself. He's talking about himself. 
Only the Father knows. Now, pause for a second, and some of you might say, wait a second, I thought Jesus is God. I thought you just said that that this was God's plan all along, that Jesus was in on it. So how, how could it be that the Son doesn't know the day or the hour? That doesn't seem to match up with this idea that we've explored throughout the Gospel of Mark, that Jesus is is fully man, but he's also fully God. So shouldn't he know the day or the hour? Shouldn't he know when the end of the world is going to come? And my answer to that is that this is one of those passages that beautifully highlights the full humanity of Jesus. Remember, he was fully God and fully man. We called that the hypostatic union a couple of lessons ago. So Jesus is fully God and fully man. And remember that what that meant is that Jesus, when he took on flesh, when when the incarnation became a reality, he willingly laid aside the full exercise of his divine attributes. Paul says it like this in Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. And so one of the tensions that we have to be comfortable with as Christians is to recognize that a verse like this, that Jesus himself doesn't know the day or the hour, he doesn't know when the end will come, That is pointing to the fact that Jesus is fully human. Yeah, he is fully God, but he gave up that independent exercise of his omniscience, right? That God is fully omniscient, but yet that Jesus, while he was walking on the earth, Jesus gave that up. And so we have to understand, we have to embrace this when Jesus says something like this. It shouldn't scare us. It should just make us marvel, And we should say, wow, this is the humanity of Jesus on full display. And look at what Jesus says in verse 33. He says, and since you don't know when that time will come. So he's saying, look, I don't and you don't either. But now he's he's applying it to us as his followers. Since you don't know when that time will come, look at what Jesus says. Be on guard. Stay alert. So see, this is Jesus's answer to our question, in in essence, or at least the other side of our question that we're starting with. He's saying, look, it's going to happen. The end of the world will happen. But because you will never know, you'll never be able to predict when it will happen. You need to always be ready. You need to stay alert. You need to watch for Jesus because it could happen at any moment. Now, here are a couple of good questions to talk about with your family or your small group. Um, if you knew the exact time or day, how would that impact your life? That's a good question. Now, some of you might say, oh man, I would be so lazy. (laughs) I would, if I knew exactly when Jesus was coming back, I would be so lazy in the meantime. And then I would just get right with God right before he came back. (laughs) You know, now some of you might say, oh no, if I knew the exact time or day, I would, that would make me work even harder because I, I would know that I only have so much time left and I'd want to make the most of every second that I had. I honestly don't know how I would answer that question. I don't, I don't know how I would live my life. My guess is most of us, we would, we would think the best of ourselves, but probably we'd all get pretty lazy. 
And and I think maybe that's why that God doesn't tell us the exact time or day, because he wants us to stay on our toes. He wants us to always be ready. Back to the text. Let's finish up Mark 13, in verses 34 to 37. It says, the coming of the Son of Man, Jesus speaking, can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. When he left home, he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work they were to do, and he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. And so now Jesus says this, you too must keep watch, for you don't know when the master of the household will return, in the evening, at midnight, before dawn or daybreak. Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say to you what I say to everyone, watch for him. And these are Jesus' last words in the Olivet Discourse. You know, the chapter 14 now in, in the Gospel of Mark starts a whole new section. The last three chapters are, are Jesus on the way to the cross. But this is kind of, at least as far as the Gospel of Mark is concerned, this is the sort of the end of the regular Gospel it ends on kind of a note of mystery. It's like Jesus is saying, you don't know when I'm going to come back, but I'm going to come back. It's going to happen. It's not an option that it won't happen. It is definitely going to happen. So be ready. Be ready. Now, by the way, it didn't happen in the disciples' lifetime. It didn't happen in the generation after the disciples. It hasn't happened in the 2,000 years since Jesus spoke these words. And so here we are in today's generation, and it may happen in our generation, and it might not. It might be another 1,000 years, 2,000 years. It's hard to imagine that it could be, but I'm sure the disciples would never have imagined that 2,000 years later, Jesus still hadn't come back. And if we open up another book of the New Testament, I think we can get some insight into why we're still waiting. Let's let's end our study of the Gospel of Mark today by looking at 2 Peter chapter 3. So Peter was one of the disciples who heard these words that Jesus spoke in Mark 13. So keep that in mind that Peter was there for all of the stuff we've been studying in the last few weeks. Peter was an eyewitness and he heard it with his own ears. And for Many years after Jesus died and was resurrected from the dead, Jesus was probably wondering when all of this stuff was going to happen. And 2 Peter was was one of the letters that Peter wrote toward the end of his life, and I think it sheds a little bit of light on Mark 13. Listen to what Peter says, verses 9 and 10, 2 Peter chapter 3. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief, just like what Jesus said. And then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. So we can see here in these verses that Peter is talking about, it's kind of like his own version of the tribulation that Jesus had been describing. It's like his own summary of what we've been reading in Mark 13. 
But Peter sheds some light as to why Jesus hadn't yet come back, at least up to this point. And I think it would also apply to us today, 2,000 years later, that the reason that Jesus hasn't come back is because he wants everyone to repent. He wants to give your mom or your dad or your son or your daughter or your neighbor or that friend at work, he wants to give them an opportunity to respond to Jesus. He, he loves them. He wants them to repent. So he's being patient for the sake of the lost. He's being patient. I guess you could say he's being patient for the sake of his followers who haven't yet shared with the lost. I mean, think about that. Think about the people in your world who don't know Jesus, who are going to die apart from saving faith in Jesus Christ. And let me ask the question that we started with again. How would you live if you didn't believe time would run out? Now, we've been talking about time running out on you, but what about time running out on your friends? What about time running out on your loved ones? You know, the truth is there are so many Christians who don't really take the end of the world seriously. There are so many Christians that are so focused on life here and now, and they fail to share Jesus with people who are desperate to know about him. They they fail to share about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. See, God God is waiting. He hasn't come back yet so that we could share the good news with the lost around us. Back to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11 says, Since everything around us is going, to be, is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. How can we hurry it along? By sharing the good news with people who haven't heard it yet, because God wants them to hear it. In verses 14 and 15, Peter says, And so, dear friends, While you're waiting for these things to happen, talking about the end of the world, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. I'm going to read that verse 15 one more time. Boy, that's a a convicting verse for all of us who are followers of Jesus who haven't yet shared our faith with our neighbors, our coworkers, our family members, our loved ones. Remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. You know, we started the Gospel of Mark almost a year ago in verse 1. I want to remind you what Mark 1 verse 1 had to say, and I want you to see how connected it is to what we've been looking at here in chapter 13. Mark 1 1 said, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. That's what we've been reading this whole year long. That's what we've been studying throughout the Gospel of Mark, is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Have you shared the good news with anyone in the last year? Have you sat down with a friend or invited a friend to listen to a podcast or invited them to church or, or, or just shared about Jesus with anyone? Jesus himself said in Mark 1.15, the time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. That's what Jesus' whole life was about. He pointed people 
to the good news. He reminded people that the kingdom of God is near. In other words, the, the kingdoms that we live in now, the homes that we live in, the life that we that we have and that we enjoy right now, all of this is going to go away. Someday all of this is going to be done. All of it's going to be gone because Jesus is going to come back and everything that we know and love is going to be destroyed. And he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. But he hasn't yet because he wants everyone to repent. The Lord has been patient because he wants to give time for people to be saved people in your life, maybe even you. Maybe you're listening to this today, and and as we finish up the Gospel of Mark in this study, maybe it's time for you to finally place your faith in Jesus. You know, maybe, maybe you realize now as we've studied chapter 13 and we realize that the end of the world is a real thing, maybe you realize that you're not ready for that. We gave you an opportunity in the last episode, to place your faith in Jesus Christ if you've never done it. But maybe you still haven't done it. And so I thought it would be fitting for us to end our study of the Gospel of Mark with that same invitation. If you've never trusted Jesus for salvation, or maybe you have a friend who has never done that and you want to share this podcast with them. So I'm talking to you today. If you recognize that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is God himself, fully God and fully man, that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, that Jesus went to the cross, he died on the cross, that Jesus rose from the dead, which is what we are going to learn about in chapters 14, 15, and 16. So even though we're not going to cover those right now in the podcasts, I encourage you to go read those and see how this story ends. But today, if you want to trust in that Jesus for salvation, then I want to invite you to turn to him in faith. Here's the good news in a nutshell, the gospel of Jesus. The good news is this. It starts with bad news, that you and I are sinners, that we're broken, and that we need salvation. And while every world religion says that the way to God is by doing good works and trying to be a good person and allowing your good works to outweigh your bad works, the Bible presents a different story, and it's really, truly good news. Because the Bible says that nobody can come to the Father on their own good works, that we're all sinners, that we're all broken, that we're all children of wrath, but that when we trust in Jesus for salvation, when we come to him in repentance and faith and we say, I recognize I can't do this myself and I need you to save me, the Bible says that in the moment that we place our faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ when he died and he rose from the dead three days later, the Bible says that's when you get saved. That's when we become children of God. And the Bible teaches that everyone has to make that decision for themselves. Husbands, your wives can't do it. Children, your parents can't do it for you. Everyone has to make that decision on a personal basis. And so if you're listening to this today and you'd say, I don't know if I've ever personally placed my faith in Jesus Christ, then I want to give you an opportunity today to do just that. Now, the way that you do it, the way that I did it when I was a a young follower of Jesus, still six or seven years old, the way you do it is is by just simply coming to him and, and, and confessing it to him, speaking it out to him. We call that prayer. And so there's a prayer you can pray, a prayer like this. There's nothing magical about the one that I'm about to pray. What, what's important is that you come to God with the right attitude 
and that you trust in him with the right information about who you are and who he is. And so if that's you today, I want to invite you to pray a prayer like this as we finish up this study of the gospel of Mark. Just say, Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize I'm broken and that I need the salvation that only you can offer. Jesus, I know that you went to the cross and you died for me in my place, the perfect sinless sacrifice in place of me because I'm imperfect. And today I trust in you, in your death and in your resurrection. And I pin all of my hope on you, Jesus. And I say thank you for the salvation that you offered to me. I receive that salvation and help me to move forward now to live a life that honors you from this day on. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I just really want to encourage you to get with a Christian friend and say, would you bring me through the pursuit? The pursuit is our 12-week foundational flagship discipleship series that talks all about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because praying a prayer to, to become a Christian isn't the end of something. It is the end of your old life. But even more importantly, it's the beginning of a new life. And we talk about that in the Pursuit series. I'll put a link to that series down below, but I encourage you to go through it with a Christian friend so that you can learn what it means to become a full circle follower of Jesus. And then we encourage you to continue to listen to the podcast, find a good, solid Christian church in your area, and pursue God with your whole heart. That's what the gospel of Mark was all about. That's what the whole Bible is all about. And that's what God's heart is for you.